Well, good morning. It's good to be together to worship God. Grateful for, uh, we have several visitors with us and so thankful for your presence. Uh, good to have you with us this morning. I uh, look forward to, to getting to know you and talk with you a little bit more after, after services. One of the things uh, that I have heard said to my wife during her pregnancy, as mentioned, we're less than a month out now, which is getting kind of surreal uh, to, us, to us both, but one of the things that I, I've heard said uh, multiple times to her, and I've even said to her myself, is something to the effect of, you were made for this. You were made to do this, to, to deliver a baby, and, and that's, that's amazing. And I like that phrase. I like it because it's true. And it points us back to the amazing way that God created the female body specifically to be able to do all that it can do as it relates to maternity. It's a beautiful thing. That's yeah, a wonderful thing. But the use of that phrase, you were made for this, I think that's also good food for thought on a much bigger scale than even just pregnancy and, and maternity and, and birth and all that goes with that. Yeah, a woman is made to be able to give birth, but as part of humanity in general, I think a very valid question is, what are we made for? What are, what are we made for? About what can we say we are made for that? Even at a very foundational level, I think that's a good question. Why did God make us? What is our purpose? Why are we here, and why did God make us the way that he did make us? And if you've ever asked that question, I would say you're not alone. Uh, in fact, I would guess that just about every person who's ever walked the earth has asked that question in some form at some point in time. It's just natural. We wonder, what are we made for? What are we here for? I mean, as we look around us, we can notice that as humans, it's us that have shaped just about everything that we can see. Uh, it's not the animals, not the plants, but the humans in the world who have largely made the earth what it is at this point. But seeing how humans have something different than animals or plants can lead us to this very question again of, so what am I actually here for? Why am I the way that I am? What was I made for? And as with any serious question in life, I believe the Bible has a lot to say with regard to the answer to that question. And in fact, I would suggest to you that the Bible actually answers that question in the very first few verses of its very first book, the book of Genesis. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, if you would. Genesis chapter 1, beginning of verse 26, Genesis 1 reads, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So man created God in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. So this text reveals the truth to us that we are humans and that we are made in the image of God. That's great. That's beautiful. It's, it's so neat. It holds the key to our, our very meaning and purpose for our entire lives. But what does it actually mean to be made in the image of God? What is God's intention by making man in his image? Let's start there this morning by examining what this means, that we were created in God's image. 
What I believe Genesis 1 is showing us is that we were made to be representatives of God. That's what that word image means, is that we are to be a representative, an image bearer of God. And as part of that position as God's representatives, God's image bearers, we were given dominion from him. He gave us a certain level of authority. Specifically, the text tells us we were given dominion over the sea, the sky, and the earth. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> the sea, the sky, and the earth, that's, that's a ton. That's a special blessing from God. He makes it clear that no other created thing was given this. And aside from light, everything else described in the creation narrative is ours to have dominion over, to shape, and to rule over. And God has given us that dominion intentionally. When you look at the way the world was made, God made the sea, the, the, well, the sky, the sea, and the earth. And then he filled it with all the things that he made. And he's given us dominion over everything but the light. But here's something interesting and important, I think, as well about this. My friend Ryan Boyer tipped me off to this. I think Ryan was here in a meeting a few years ago. If you read through Genesis 1 and the creation account as a whole, you will realize that every other created thing was made according to its kind or after its kind again and again. In verse 11 of Genesis chapter 1, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit, which is their seed, each according to its kind. And then verse 12, again, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit. This is verse 12 as well, in which uh, is their seed each according to its kind. And then again in verse 21, so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves uh, and with which the water sworn according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And on and on and again, verses 24 and 25, they do this as well. Everything was made according to its kind except humans. When we get to verse 26, all of a sudden, that drumbeat of according to its kind, according to its kind, or after its kind, after its kind, after its kind, depending on your translation, suddenly changes. And God says, let us make man, not according to or after its kind, but after our likeness. Again, God's doing the talking here. After God's own likeness. That's different. And that's important. And it's not to say that we were made to be exact replicas of God. We were not made to be God. That much is clear. We are created in this very text. But we have been delegated with authority by God. In fact, we were specifically not given authority over the foundational layer of creation, which is light. And as the very first thing, God said, let there be light. He didn't include that, but he included everything else, the sea, the sky, and the earth. But throughout Scripture, that makes sense because light is representative of God's own creative power, God's authority, and God's sustaining of all creation. So God retains absolute control and dominion, but he has given us a level of dominion, a great level of dominion as well. And if we are wise, our logical question will be, what does God want us to do with this dominion that he has given to us? What's his desire from us? Well, Genesis shows us that we were made to use that dominion as representatives of God. We were given this dominion so that we might be fruitful and multiply God's image all over the earth. We were not just made and given this dominion. We were made in God's image and given this dominion. And the point we need to recognize is that because of this, the way we use our God-given dominion over all these things must be in alignment with who God is. 
The reason that is true is that God is the creator and the giver of whatever dominion we have. He has a right to say how we use it. He has a right to that. We are the created. God is the creator. And there's an order of that. God made everything orderly. Clearly, there's intention and pattern in the creation account. And this is part of that. God is the creator, and we are the created. We are the creation. Notice in verse 27, this is the first poem in the Bible, in Genesis 1 and verse 27. There are three lines in this poem, and notice the common thread in all three of them. So, this is verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now, the first two lines talk about being in God's image, but all three lines talk about how God is the creator. The first line, God created man. The second line, he created them. The third line, he created them. So what's the point? God is the creator. We are the created. Because of this foundational truth, though God has given us this dominion, he's given us dominion over the earth, he has the right, though, to say how he wants us to use that dominion, what he wants us to do with it. And yet, what he says about that is that we are to use our dominion benevolently. We're to use it in kindness, to multiply his image of love and giving of himself by adopting that image ourselves and using our dominion that he's given us to act on that. That's what God shows in creation. God is perfect. God is complete, yet he gives out of himself. He shows love in everything that he makes. And in creation, what God shows us, what he shows mankind, all of us, is that he has every right to act for his own self-interest and yet He does not, but he creates a wonderful and a good world for others to live in and to take joy in. And so we, therefore, are to act in a way that aligns with such character that we see in God, not acting of our own self-interest, but acting in a way that shows love and kindness to God himself and to others as he has done to us. That's what we were designed for. We were made, created in God's image, and that's what we're supposed to do. But the trick is, I'd love to end the sermon there. That's not what we did, though, is it? Unfortunately, that's not at all what we have done. Instead of using our God-given dominion in a way that aligns with and honors the image of God, we did the exact opposite, and we marred God's image. Adam was the very first man, and what did he do? Well, he used his God-given dominion to step outside the bounds of what God intended for him, the outside the bounds of God's image and God's desires for how he ought to use that dominion. God gave Adam and Eve one particular guideline, one specific boundary. And again, as as the creator, we've established that, talking to the created, God had the right to do that. That was well within his rights. And as we all know very well, That boundary was to not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, as Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17 records. Why was that such a problem that they did that? Because in eating of that fruit, Adam acted in a way that violated the very image in which he was made. When he ate of the fruit, he acted in a way that went completely against the purpose for which God created him. In eating of the fruit, Adam acted in selfish desire. He acted in envy, wanting to be like God, wanting to be God. And those desires are completely contrary to God's nature and who he is. So being made in God's image and acting that way, they're at odds with each other. 
And so a chasm forms. And really, this is the very first instance of idolatry. The serpent said that Adam and Eve would be like God if they ate of the fruit. They had a selfish desire not to serve God and act as representatives of God, but Satan acted on that desire and tempted them to want to be God. And that's what they're going after when they do that. But what this did is it corrupted the very image they were supposed to bear. You see, God's not a power-grabbing, selfish, desire-led kind of God. But that's who Adam and Eve showed themselves to be, meaning that they no longer truly and fully bore God's image. They weren't like God anymore. And when they no longer truly and fully bore God's image, then they could no longer experience God's creation and all the goodness he had intended for them. But it gets sadder from there. And why is that? We get sadder because all of us, since Adam, have done the exact same thing. We've all done it. I mean, do we we ever intentionally decide to do what we want to do despite knowing that it actually flies in the face of what God wants us to do? Yes. (laughs) Do we ever decide to do what we want and what we like, even when we know that kind of behavior is not really godly behavior? Romans 3.23, famous text. Not because people like to be depressed and like to hear that they're wrong. It's famous because it sums up the actual answer to these critical questions. The answer is, yes, we do that. We've all done that. That's what we have done. We've all decided to do what we want. Even when we know full well it is not what God would do, nor what God would want us to do. But honestly, I think if we all think critically about this. Scripture is not the only reason we know this is true. We can see this around us, just in the world in general. All we have to do is open our eyes. I think we'll find, if we look closely enough, that selfishness is really what lies at the root of all the problems we face in the world today. Instead of exercising the dominion, again, God gave us that dominion, but instead of exercising it in a way that that God wants us to, in a benevolent way, we use it instead to get what we want. We use it to get ahead. We use it for our desires, and we do it all the time. All the time. You don't have to look very far, maybe not even further than yourself, to see that happening. And as we look around the world and we see some of humanity's greatest problems, the horrible things that exist in this world, whether it's racism or war or crime or abuse, you name it, At the root of all those things is choosing to act in a way that does not express and imitate God's character, but instead seeks and prioritizes what we want, only what our selfish desires would lead us to do. But the really hard part about this is, we don't even have to look at the world at large to see this. Sometimes, we just need to look at ourselves. Instead of looking out for what others want, what others need, sometimes we force our own opinions Sometimes by doing that, we cause unnecessary division. Instead of spending most of our time doing God's work and seeking to do what will build his kingdom and giving of ourselves, we push those things to the back burner. We fill our days with things that we want to do, things that we enjoy, but have no spiritual value. Instead of trying to reach out and help brothers and sisters who are struggling, too often we just, maybe we just ignore them. We give the excuse, we've, we've got enough to worry about with our, our family. We've got too much. Maybe even worse, instead of just ignoring them, we just talk about them behind their back instead of helping them out. 
and we gossip. When we do those kinds of things, when we act in ways that betray who God is and what God has called us to do, what we are essentially doing is we are corrupting, we are marring the image of God. That's what we do when we sin. The basic definition of what it is to mar something, which I had to look up because I knew it was the right word, but I was like, what does it actually mean? So the basic definition of what it is to mar something is to impair the appearance of or to disfigure something. I think that fits perfectly with what we do. That's what we do when we don't act in accord with God's nature and character, but instead we act on our own desires. Instead of bearing God's image so that people see goodness, benevolence, and sacrificial love, we bear a twisted image of selfishness and personal desires that lead us wherever they want us to go. And so from Genesis 3, where the fall of man is recorded, onward through the rest of the Bible and the rest of human history, the issue is that we need to be restored to God's image if we are ever not only to fulfill our purpose, but also to be with God, which we were created to be as well. Adam and Eve were put in the garden, and guess what? God walked in the garden. That's how we were made to be. But we can't be when we've marred God's image. God is the source of life. We talked about that earlier. We talked about light being a symbol of how God is the source of light. But if we are apart from God, what that ultimately means for us is darkness. And what is darkness? But death. That's what that means for us. This is our dilemma. Being apart from God not being like God, and ultimately death is where that leads. But the good news of all this is, is that for those of us who are Christians, what has happened to us is we have been recreated in God's image. Everyone has marred the image of God in which they were created. Everyone across human history from Adam on, every single person except for one person, and his name is Jesus. And here's how I understand it. And you can take this or leave it, but hopefully this is helpful for for me to share just kind of how I wrap my brain around this. The issue we have is that the image in which we were made, that is God's image, is not the kind of image where you can paint over the messed up part. To use an illustration, photography is kind of a hobby of mine. I've done video more professionally, but photography is just kind of something fun that I, I do when we travel to places. And sometimes I don't take the perfect picture, I'm a, I'm a hobbyist. Uh, so maybe, maybe I take a beautiful landscape shot and then realize, oh, man, there's a piece of garbage on the ground right there in the front of the picture. Well, thankfully, I have some editing software that allows me to, to remove, to brush over anything in that image that I don't want there. I can take my little tool and drag across it, and it takes another piece of ground without trash on it and puts it on top of that and covers it up. Beautiful. Nobody ever has to know except the software. Of course, when robots take over the world, then they can tell us, but they'll have bigger fish to fry. Just kidding. That's a total rabbit trail. Don't know where that came from. That was not in my manuscript. (laughs) Point being, we can cover over those things with those kind of pictures. Uh, Another illustration. For those of you who enjoy painting, if you make a mistake, if you drop your paintbrush or you accidentally trip and fall into your canvas and you mar that image by splattering paint in places where you don't want it, well, you can just paint over it. Right? You could just paint something new in its place on top. Nobody has to know. No rabbit trail this time. <laughs> but the thing about the image in which we were made is that it is not an image made up of paint. It's not even an image of pixels in a digital photo. The image in which we were made is made up of life. Our image is made up of life because God is life and light. 
And so while you can fix an image made up of paint with more paint, because it's made up of paint, and you can fix an image made up of pixels on a computer with other pixels, in order to fix an image made up of life that has been messed up, what do you need? You need more life. But the thing about life, though, is that it's really a two-way thing. There are only two possibilities. You're either alive, you have life, or you're dead, and you don't. That's it. And we are already alive right now, so for us to uh, mar God's image, because we have done that, the only immediately apparent option for us, if we want to fix that image, is to die. That's the only obvious choice. But that's where Jesus came in. Jesus came to do something about that. Jesus died for us, and he offered us new life through his death and his subsequent resurrection. He showed us that that is possible. We can die, but then be raised again, recreated in God's image. And that's how he restores us to the image of God. We unite ourselves with his death, dying to our sin and all that we have done to mar God's image. But then, just as he was resurrected, so too we are raised to new life. A life that is once again lived in God's image as we were initially made to be restoring everything that we were supposed to be. And what Jesus is doing for us is he's restoring us to how we were when God made us in the very beginning. And what did God say about his creation? It is very good. That's what Jesus brings us back to. He's restoring us to what we were made in, the image of God. But here's the key, and here's the part that's absolutely certain. Maybe my paint and picture illustration didn't work for you, but here's the part we all need to know. In this new life, in this new creation that we are, we are called to choose to be what God created us to be. We are called to live in His image. This is not only something that is done to us, but something that we do with our new lives in Christ. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 6 with me. Turn to Romans chapter 6. I think Romans, the sixth chapter, is really the text, to me, that brings this all together and helps us see the big picture of where Christ fits in and what we need to be about as disciples. Romans chapter 6, and I want to start reading in verse 5. For if we have been united with him, that is Christ, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also, notice this, must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Pause there. This is all exactly what we've been talking about. You see that language there? Our old self was crucified with Jesus in order that we could be set free from sin, set free from that corrupt image that we have made and have new life, life made in the image of God, but this time in the image of God, the Son. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. What a blessed thought. But also notice verse 11. You must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
He didn't just say, you are dead to sin and alive to God. He said, you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And what that means, I think, is that there is now an expectation of us if we are alive in Christ. But there's not only an expectation for how we look at ourselves, how we view ourselves intellectually, but that must lead us to how we act and live. We have to change that too. And so Paul continues in verse 12 of Romans 6. He says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Did you notice that word? That's peculiar. Word that sounded familiar from Genesis 1. It's it's that word dominion comes up again. And so Paul implies here that before we were in Christ, sin had dominion over us. Instead of us having dominion over creation as God's image bearers by giving into our desires, sin gained dominion that it was never supposed to have over us. The whole creation was flipped on its head, but Paul also says that because we are in Christ, sin no longer has that dominion over us. In Christ's resurrection, it talks about in verse 9, he broke death's dominion over him, meaning that he can offer us new life. And with Christ having given us this new life, Paul says the expectation is that we must not allow sin to have any dominion over us. So how do we do that? Look at verse 13. Do not present your members, or, or the parts of your body is what he's talking about, which was made in God's image, right? That's what our bodies are made in. So, so don't present your body, your members, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and present your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, instead of giving in our selfish desires, which mar that image of God... We are to present ourselves who are made in God's image back to him to do his work and to care for his creation as his representatives, as his image bearers in benevolent, God-granted dominion. I hope what you see from this is Christianity is not just a matter of doing some good stuff and hoping God lets you into heaven. It is a matter of being transformed. Paul will go on to say in this letter, transformed in the image of Christ who is God himself. And yes, it is a matter of committing to doing good works. Make no mistake about that. But not just for the the sake of trying in vain to put duct tape over all our mistakes. Duct tape is not going to fix this image. It fixes a lot of things, but it's not going to fix this. It's not going to work. But the point of being in Christ is to do the works we were created to do in the first place as God's image bearers, now that Christ has done the work that we could not do and restored us to that very good state of being made in God's image. And so the demanding question for all of us this morning, and this is where it gets tricky, is, is that how we're living? Are we living in the image of God? It's a high calling. It's a beautiful thing, and it's wonderful to talk about how we've been recreated, and we have this this hope that in Christ we have this new life, this new identity, we're in God's image again, but we can't present our members to sin anymore if we are in Christ now. So that's the question for us. Is that how we're living? Do we live in the image of God? Do we present ourselves not to our desires as servants to whatever feels good to us, just being led around by, by whatever feels right, but do we present ourselves entirely to God, considering ourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
Every day, does the image of God define our actions? Do we deny our wants? Do we deny our selfishness in order to be like God? Showing sacrificial love and kindness both reciprocally to God and also to those around us? Is that who we are? It has to be. God called us to be fruitful and multiply when he created mankind. Going back to Genesis chapter 1, what I want you to see there is that doesn't just apply to having babies. A lot of times we think of it in in those terms. But when we hear be fruitful and multiply, what I want us all to think about and to ask ourselves is, does my life bear the fruit of and multiply the image of God? And whether you're having babies or not, that applies to every single person made in the image of God or remade in the image of God in Christ. Our selfishness manifests itself in different ways for different ones of us, but the ultimate call is the same. Do not give yourself to those selfish desires, but take up your cross by denying yourself those things and living in God's image of benevolent, sacrificial love in every single thing we do and say every day. That's our call. And so may God help us to that end. Well, do you realize this morning that although you remain in God's image and you've marred God's image by your sin, you've missed that third step? You haven't been recreated in God's image by by Jesus, being baptized into Christ's death and being raised a new creation in, in God's image again? We want to encourage you to do that. And we want to help you in any way we can. But if you've been recreated through Jesus, but you realize you're not living in God's image, we want to pray for you. If there's any way we can help you come to know true new life in Jesus this morning, we'd love to do that. Just let us know as we stand and as we sing.